Hello and welcome to Fundamentals, the podcast that explores pop culture one conversation at a time. I am your host, Harley. Joining me for the very first episode of 2024 to talk about all things spy movies, it's Scott Hardy from the Spy Hards podcast. Scott was good enough to come on the podcast and share his love of this rather unique collection of movies. In fact, really, this whole entire conversation hangs on the philosophical question, what is a spy movie? Can you really call spy movies a genre? It's something that we get to dissect in this conversation, and I had a lot of fun doing so with Scott. He is an incredibly knowledgeable person, and just an absolute delight to talk to, really, as you will hear in this conversation. We had a ton of fun talking about a whole host of movies, quite a few actually I was not expecting to discuss at all when I sat down with Scott to talk spy movies, but such is the nature of this podcast. But before we get to that, I just wanted to take a quick moment up top and firstly apologise for my absence. The hiatus that I planned on taking from the podcast ended up stretching just a little bit further than I wanted it to, but that's just how it goes sometimes. So if you are listening to this, thank you. Thank you so much for your patience. Thank you for coming back to the podcast. It really means a lot to me. And I promise you that things will be very different in 2024. In fact, there's quite a few changes coming for the podcast, which I am very excited to share with all of you. But I'll sprinkle that in over the next few weeks as we go. I have, of course, not been completely podcastless during my absence. I have, of course, been recording episodes for you to enjoy for this year. But I've also been fortunate enough to be invited on a number of wonderful podcasts as a guest. I will be shouting those out over the next coming weeks, starting with the very first one at the end of this episode. Right, that's enough from me. Let's get on with the very first episode of 2024. This is Spy Movies with Scott Hardy. Hello, Scott, and welcome to the Fundamentals podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's really uh, really awesome to connect with you, Scott, and to speak to you about something that is very, very close to your heart. Mm. I mean, it's in the title of your podcast, <laughs> and that is, of course, Spy Movies. But before we get to that, yeah, I just want to ask, how are you doing? How's, how's things going with the podcast? I, re- I noticed you just hit 150 episodes. Is that right? It Literally dropping, uh, yeah, just recently, actually, uh, our 150th review. But we've actually done a combined mm. 250 episodes, but Whoa. that's with all like the interviews and bonus episodes and things like that over yeah. the years. But our 150th review, we decided to go over a big one. We wanted to look at Leon the Professional, which is a very interesting film. Brilliant. And mm. uh, yeah, big discussion, two hour discussion mm. on it. It's uh, very insightful. And uh, yeah, but a big milestone. We've been doing it for just over three and a half years now. It's, uh, it's yeah. flown by. Amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And it, it's such a fascinating one as well, because that's so many episodes, so many conversations about a genre that I think most people would assume is quite niche, right? Mm. It's quite sort of straightforward. But before we get into all of that, I just want to throw it over to you, Scott. What is what was your introduction to spy movies? My introduction to spy movies. I mean, I will preface there's usually two of us on the show. My co-host uh, Cam can't make it. He's busy uh, on a covert mission, probably destabilizing a government somewhere around the world. But uh, as, as good spies <laughs> do, uh, my introduction to spy movies comes from. It's hard to trace back. It, it's either the 1996 N64 game GoldenEye. Nice. Okay. 
or it's 1997's Tomorrow Never Dies. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I, did, I, I can relate to both of those. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I didn't see Goldeneye theaters. I was the age of seven when it came out, eight maybe. Um, mm. And I think my parents just didn't weren't that fussed with it. But Tomorrow Never Dies, we all went as a family, and I remember driving out of the Cinemaplex or whatever it was called, and pretending to drive my family's car from the back seat with my pretend little mobile phone or whatever yeah. it was, like I'd just seen in the film. I remember it just distinctly sticking in my head. And from mm. that moment on, I was fairly hooked on not only Bond, but like I loved the Austin Powers films growing up, Johnny mm-hmm. English, stuff like that. Um, Mission Impossible when I started coming around. Sort of the mm-hmm. action-focused spy movies, especially when I was younger. But yeah, Bond, mm-hmm. I guess, was my, uh, was my entry drug. Yeah, yeah. I think that's quite common for, for a lot of us. I mean, I've done a Bond episode a few well, about a year ago, actually, if I remember correctly. And um, yeah, that, the sort of Piers Brosnan era, mm-hmm. definitely a big one for many people. Yeah, myself included. I think, was it Tomorrow Never Dies? Or I think it was, no, it was Die Another Day. It's one of the bad ones. That was my first. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was one of my first films I went to see in the cinema uh, with my dad. What an experience that film was. I know, I know. I mean, I thought it was cool. I, granted, I was like 10 years old, you know, in an invisible car. I was like, oh, yeah. Absolutely. I said that I was 15 and I said, yeah, mm. I have no problem with the vanish. I thought it was a, a cool little gadget. In later life, I understand where people's problems have come from yeah. and it, the movie falls apart in the later part. But, uh, you know, sure. it, it as a 15 year old or a 10 year old in your case, it's the perfect kind mm. of just it's like a Roger Moore send up film with Pierce yeah. Brosnan in the role. You know, absolutely. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And yeah, those games as well, man. Yeah, that GoldenEye N64, that is the stuff of legends, mm-hmm. to be fair. It's never been bettered in terms of, I think, for me, a multiplayer experience. I've got four brothers. Mm. Yeah. So uh, imagine the four of us with four N64 controllers yep. uh, just uh, causing nightmares. Uh, havoc around <laughs> the house, screaming at one another. You can't use our job. That's cheating. Yeah. All that yep. sort of stuff. Yeah. It, it, uh, it was endless, but it, it was a game that sort of defined my youth, I tend to find, which is a very big statement, but mm. it was one I played a lot. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's a massive one for a lot of people. I mean, as you say, I don't think it's been topped generally, as you say, as a multiplayer for sure. And also for, for sort of a Bond-connected video game either. I don't think there's really been one that's come out that's been anywhere near as good. Certainly not in popularity. Uh, there's, no. been, there's been some good games. The From Russia With Love PS2 mm. game with Sean Connery back in the role Oh yeah, was tremendous, but it mm. wasn't a multiplayer game. So it was just yeah. a you played the film basically with some additional bits thrown in um and that mm. was great and just hearing sean back in the role was fantastic but yeah mm. golden iron 64 i must say it came back out recently on xbox i immediately downloaded yeah. it and played it and mm. uh, realized i'm rubbish at it now but <laughs> maybe i always was who knows but yeah it, it, it's such a just a, a nice moment in time yeah no i, I get that definitely or on the subject i'm curious who is your favorite bond Ah, uh, oh, that's a tricky one. I get this. I do get this question from time to time, and I'm gonna give you a, a bit of a non-answer. Uh, okay, but it, I'll I'll justify it, and then I'll th- I'll tell okay. you why, and I'll throw it back to you. All right, all right. I I don't. I have a personal favorite. Yes, and also someone I think was the best, and that's different. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, personal favorite, I think, is Piers Brosnan. He was the guy who brought me in. Goldeneye yep. from Tomorrow Never Dies, they were my first two Bond films. Mm-hmm. But having, as been someone, that, like, I've spent, you know, years studying the film since, you know, 
copious amounts of interviews, all these sorts of things we've done for the show. I think mm. Sean Connery is the definitive article of what Bond yeah. is, should be on the big screen. Problematic elements in the films, for sure. But Sean Connery is... If I, th if I read a Bond book now, I think Sean Connery. I think you've made your point, Goldfinger. Thank you for the demonstration. Choose your next witticism carefully, Mr. Bond. It may be your last. The purpose of our two previous encounters is now very clear to me. I do not intend to be distracted by another. Good night, Mr. Bond. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. There is nothing you can talk to me about that I don't already know. What about you? Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way, actually. I've got to admit, yeah, I think Sean Connery is definitely, for me, the, I would say, correct answer. But again, I know that's controversial. Again, did an episode on it, folks. If you want to hear it, go back. Um, But... Yeah, I, I think Sean Connery is definitely one of the more iconic ones, and mm -hmm. I agree. Just some some truly great stuff there. Uh, but I'm also a big fan of what Daniel Craig did with it. Yeah, I know it's maybe recency bias, but he, I genuinely think he brought something really interesting to the role. You know, watching it as perhaps a more mature, I say, you know, teenager up into adulthoods. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed what he did with it. I liked that his was a bit more cynical, a bit more. Bit more of a sociopath, for being honest, you yeah. know, and a kind of what you'd expect from somebody like that, you know. And he, and I think to his credit, as much as he bemoaned it at times, he did, he did do a decent job with it. And there's some great moments in it, you know. Look back at like Casino Royale, Skyfall in particular, and I think, yeah, those are some solid spy movies, regardless of whether it's Bond. You know, just if you just watch them as standalone spy films, they're absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I he's. <laughs> this is what I, I, I tend to think with Daniel Craig. Mm. I think his films are mostly fantastic. There's a couple of duds in the in the batch yeah. for, for me personally, and not for everyone. But his ones aren't ones I would necessarily grab if I wanted to rewatch something. Yeah, like I I would probably put a Roger Moore or a Pierce Brosnan film on as a comfort thing. But mm. in terms of film craft, I think Casino Royale, the 2006 version, yeah. uh, transcends just being a Bond film to being mm. just a good film. Like it is, yeah. you could show it to literally anyone and they would get it and enjoy it. Absolutely. And do you think that speaks to just, just the, uh, the general setup of spy films, right? Because you could say the same about, I think, about some of the Mission Impossible films, for example. You know, mm -hmm. we're like, what, eight, seven, eight films in now? And you can kind of think, oh, is it, am I going to get lost? Bond, you've got over 20 odd years. And do I have to follow the law or the rest of it? Like you say, you can just pick a movie like Casino Royale or. I think like Mission Impossible, what's the Fallout? I think it's a good example. One like you can just drop people in it, yeah, and you can just kind of go. You don't need to know any background, you don't need to know any context because of the genre and the type of film that it is. You can just drop people in it, just say enjoy, enjoy it for what it is. You get the tropes, you get who the what's going on, enjoy. Yeah, I think uh, Mission Impossible is another good example of that. They have lent into more serialized stuff. You've got like the yeah. the the stuff that goes from five to six with the disciples and um, mm -hmm. Solomon Lane. But it mm. is very much a background thing that they just sort of give you some exposition and you can just sort of wave it away. Because you have to, if you think with yeah. Bond as well, you have to explain who 007 is, what a James Bond is. And like right. you've still got to do that sort of um, sort of setting the groundwork. But I think Fallout is, and that's why I think Fallout is still the highest earning bo uh, Bond film, Mission Impossible film of all 
time adjusted I for inflation. So. Uh, I'm not the stats guy. Cam is the stats guy. He would come in and tell me off right now. Uh, this is a perfect time, Scott, to do our first Google, and I'll cue the Google jingle now. Oh, what's his name? It's time to Google. Mission impossible. We'll just do box office breakdown. Let's see what it gives us. I can guarantee that Dead Reckoning Part 1 is not top of that list. Absolutely not, no. <laughs> womp, womp. Yep, 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 yep. I have thoughts. Um, and I, I bet you do as well. So, oh, this is interesting. Right, so Go I've on. got a, uh, a Google ranking of the lifetime gross top four. Um, actually, let's do the lot. Let's do the lot. So in order, it is, this is bizarre. So Fallout is the top mm-hmm. at, I, I, I bet I know the next one. Go on. It's Mission Impossible 2. Yeah. 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 Which surprises me. I'm like, really? That one came in and it was just... It hit right at the time. You, you know, you've got yeah. John Woo. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say Doug Ray Scott was bringing people into the theaters, but John Woo certainly mm-hmm. was. You've got that soundtrack yep. that sold like hotcakes. That's true. A bit of Limp Biscuit, Metallica. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. It was, yeah, right in the noughties, the absolute sweet spot. Yeah. The next one, Ghost Protocol. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then Rogue Nation, then the first film, then Dead Reckoning, and then Mission Impossible 3, which kind of makes sense, right? Because That's... as you say, as much as the second one hit really well, yeah. I think it burnt a lot of goodwill because the end result wasn't particularly great. Well, there's a big gap in time, I think, isn't yes, Mission Impossible 2 is, is gap, 2000, yeah. Mission Impossible 3 is 2006. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So six, yeah. six years, people thinking, oh, actually, it wasn't that good. I don't know if I'll go and see another one. But actually, it's really good you that's actually sh- one of the should. better ones i would say it is yeah yeah um so there you go folks there you go there's a detour i did not expect but that's absolutely fine hmm. um so yeah i mean as you say going back to it it's interesting isn't it because these are franchises that are still going mm-hmm. you know they still clearly have some sort of popularity so do you think that speaks to the larger appeal of a spy movie or what a spy movie is I tend to find it's more the flexibility of the genre because right. it, it, spy movies aren't a, a genre. Like they wouldn't, I've always no. said they wouldn't be like a shelf and blockbuster. Yeah. Right. You wouldn't see spy movies there, but you'd find spy movies in every single shelf in blockbuster if it was to exist. You yes. find it in comedies, you find it in sci fi, you find it in mm. thrillers, and it's such a, an a, a adaptable, amiable, you can bend it to whatever will you've like. We've had. We've mm. had comedies. We've had a Western spy film. Nice. We've, we've had a musical spy film on the show. Like, <laughs> okay. it, it really runs the gamut of, of what you can sort of do because it's more about characters that you put into a situation and then you build yeah. the type, the genre around that. And I think that's what sort of at least fascinates Cam and I with the idea of spy hearts because one thing we said in the beginning, I mean, the mm. genesis of the show was originally it was going to be about Bond films. That was right. going to be just solely Bond films. And then we realized that there's just so many Bond podcasts out there. It just, mm-hmm. uh, at what point, you know, when does it end? So, yeah. and you can only speak about 27 films. And, yes. And you're done, you know, like, mm-hmm. what do you do after that? Whereas we have a running list of spy movies that currently is over 500 films long. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and it's not like we've started off on the show. I mean, we, I mentioned 150 episodes earlier. It's mm-hmm. not like we've done any, but we've, we've avoided most of the heavy hitters. We haven't touched mm. a lot of the franchises at all, or we haven't mm. been through half the Bonds yet. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to take our time with it. But 
it just goes to show how flexible it all is. And I think that, and it, I like the idea of, hopefully, I think the listeners like it too, of every week they tune in to hear about a film and hopefully they watch ahead of time because we let you know what we've got coming up. And they're getting mm. a different experience every week with us. It's yeah. not like you're watching Bond, 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 Bond. Right. And as, as people who are spending their free time, much like yourself, doing a podcast, it's great because mm. we're getting surprised every week. Mm. Like we don't know which way it's going to go. Like there's some films you know, but yeah. Like, yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, we, we did the Cats and Dogs 2 and 3. By the way, love that you went there. Well, as, 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 as someone who enjoyed the first one and, and like a nostalgic, mm-hmm. oh, I remember seeing that in the cinema as a kid. I, I'd forgotten they'd made sequels. So yeah, really happy to hear you guys go through those. <laughs> I mean, we'd lost our minds by the end of that episode. It was rough going. <laughs> if you pardon the pun, if you pardon the yeah. pun. But I'll like, allow it. <laughs> yeah, but like we actually went and got the director of the first one on the show back in the summer. Yeah. When we'd have it, and like, it's crazy how much work went into mm. putting that first film together and the, the, they created yeah. digital effects for having those animals like recreated and their mouths moving and stuff they pioneered that yeah. type of effect and it's like i didn't know any of that sort of craftsmanship went into cats and dogs but that's mm-hmm. that's the magic of it we turned up and thought oh cats and dogs could be like this throwaway episode and it was such a, one of the more insightful things we'd looked into the entire summer brilliant yeah i gotta admit i really enjoyed those episodes yeah because as you say i had no idea what mm. all of the work that went into it and yeah and again one that's i think a fascinating example because you're like it, what is it it's basically a joke right yeah. it, it, it's a sort of a pun it's like oh yeah cats and dogs they fight each other mm-hmm. so what if they were spies yeah what if they have this underground life yeah they're, and they're, they're like the kennels are le- you know secretly lairs mm. for spy craft to go on like it's, yeah. it's it's a funny it's a daydream that a kid would have yeah in a doodle yeah, yeah. like oh imagine imagine my dog was james bond and yeah that, but like yeah okay yes and they did something with it, it yeah. they're kids films sure they're harmless kids films evil does not wear a bonnet coming out is she gone oh. Ow. Ow. Did Genghis Khan ever wear a bonnet? No. Ow. A terrible hun? I don't think so. But he did wear a furry hat. Maybe a black bonnet. Uh, yes. Huh? No. Oh, yes. <clears throat> the ninjas failed, and failure is unacceptable. <laughs> if they ever show their faces again, you know what to do. Yes. Tell them to wash with a loofah sponge. Hitting. Hello. This Yo. can't be happening. I want them eliminated! But but they they did manage to bug the phone. You know. Maybe we can look at the glasses half full. Ow! That, that's what I like to do. Oh, putting a happy face on things, I see. What an interesting philosophy. At what point did you forget that- We are trying to take over the world! The clock is ticking, and our margin for error is slight. Tomorrow, you will send in the Russian. Yeah, we've done all of the Spy Kids films as well. Uh, I know oh, I, yeah. I'm not really mm-hmm. selling the show to you folks. I understand. <laughs> there's there's good stuff in there too. Trust me. But yeah, uh, yeah. It, you know, it it that's is what I love about doing it is I, mm. I'm not talking about the same action thriller every week. Mm. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah, and like, as you say, it's it runs the gambit. I mean, in those cases, yeah, you're talking about kids films, and I have fond memories of the Spy Kids movies as well. Mm-hmm. Rewatch the first one in lockdown. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> you know. But again, not, not, not knocking it because it's like, do you know what? It served a purpose. And as you say, what's fascinating to me about that is what you just said a minute ago about the way that you can bend the sort of spy, I guess, yeah, not genre 
sort of the dressings of, of a spy movie mm-hmm. and just put it onto a concept. Yeah. And immediately you kind of go, yeah, do you know what? I'd watch that. That actually sounds kind of interesting. What, cats and dogs? Are, okay, yeah. Well, the kids are running around. But yeah, okay. That, you're at least intrigued to see what somebody does with that, right? And it's going to have something familiar about it. Yeah. And you can also like read other films as, as having spycraft and you can interpret things. Like one of the, one of the episodes that did mm-hmm. really well um little inside baseball there but mm-hmm. you know is um ghost in the shell the 1995 oh. anime now okay you wouldn't necessarily instantaneously think that's a spy film but mm. the government bureau that she's working for the major uh major katsu i can't remember her name i'm sorry the major back, mm. get back on google i will <laughs> come on it <laughs> Sec- second google yeah here we go it's time to Google again. The the major that she just refers to as the major in the film. She works for she works for their version of MI5. That is true, actually. Yeah. No, as as you mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, she's technically a spy. Yeah, she's she's a someone. She basically she's a soul within an interchangeable body. Isn't that just what spies yeah. are? They just change their right. outside appearance, but inside they're the same. Your listeners are screaming at me for not remembering they the major's are, they're name. They're screaming at me as well, so I'm just double checking this. Wait! Wait. Stop, Stop the podcast! podcast. The, the host is wrong. wrong! Hello, and welcome to Correction Corner, a segment of the podcast where I, future Harley, intervene on behalf of past Harley when he absolutely drops the ball on something. Apologies for the interruption to your listening experience. I felt the need to intervene here because I honestly couldn't bear to share with you the absolute fumbling of the name of one Motoko Kusanagi. It was honestly just painful listening to me struggling through it, so there you go, I've spared you from that. Anyway, back to the episode. I don't know, Google and IMDb give me different things, but yes, it's the for, the, for our purposes, uh, we're going to say the major and apologise for upsetting any and all fans of that very <laughs> beloved film of ghost in the shell yeah it's a great movie but you're you're absolutely right i wouldn't have thought about that but as you say like oh yeah that's that's the story that's mm-hmm. bakes into it so that's fascinating what other movies then have you sort of gone down in that similar vein where you're like oh hang on this is technically a spy film all right here we go well now you put me on the spot because that was the one i, I, I had lined up oh no <laughs> because oh, we can talk no. a bit more about that one that's fine by me no 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 i i mean it's it, i'm just trying to like waffle my way for an answer but no i i, I you know, honestly i couldn't tell you directly off but like if i pulled up my list of films right now something would like jump out to me i'm sure mm. uh da, 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 da. I, I wish i had a google corner theme now for myself to cover up for a moment but uh i don't i don't i'm not going to mention the penguins of madagascar that was a that was a weird i mean technically again technically if we're thinking about it yeah sort of spies i suppose well they work with the spy agency benedict cumberbatch yeah. in the film leads a, a a ragtag group of animals that are spies he's a he's a penguin which is that word he can pronounce uh-huh. um <laughs> right. and and like yeah there's like a wolf and there's all kinds of things going on they're like they got some sort of name i can't remember now it's t- two years ago just tell me everything you know all right Imarono. Never trust a Dutchman in a tulip fight. Canada is secretly training an army of Sasquatch. Sasquatch. Hot dogs are in fact only 70% actual dogs. Not everything, everything, just everything regarding your abduction by Dr. Octavius Bryan. Ah, 
Why didn't you say so? What? But like, uh, here's another one that um, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, that actually is quite true. Enter the Dragon, the 1973 Bruce Lee film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he he's hired by MI6 mm. to enter the tournament to take down the baddie. He becomes a spy that's, in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Oh man, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. It's, and this is this is why I don't get bored doing this podcast, and I don't get bored oh. talking about it. I don't get bored doing all the social media stuff because it's mm. it's genuinely a fun thing to do. And like the and the interviews is another interesting side of this whole thing that we accidentally fell into as well. But yeah, right. that's, that's 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 why I love it. Yeah, I mean that's it. It's it's just straight away we're seeing already, right? That there's so many different avenues you can go down with this. Mm-hmm. So, I'm curious, what do you think makes a good spy movie then? Well, that's what we're trying to find out. That's ah. that's the mission. The mission. Makes your knock list. Ah, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> the knock list. Uh, by the way, <laughs> if uh, if you can't figure out it. It, we just um, basically stole it from Mission Impossible uh, yeah. and then renamed it to the Need to See Official Classics, which is a tortured uh, acronym. But <laughs> we'll, we'll keep it because we can just pretend it's ours. But then again, we stole our name from a movie. Yeah, right. But, but we had permission from the director. So, Oh, okay then. We had him on just to check and he's like, no, you can use the name. So like, great, cool. Brilliant. Anyway, signed off legally. Punk, that's it. Amazing. Uh, no, so... <sighs> What makes a good spy movie? I tell you, so the the knock list, the criteria for the knock list is very fluid, in mm-hmm. the sense of everyone who comes on the show gets a vote. And it for me, it's more of an intrinsic thing. It's not an entertainment, because for instance, something like The Man from Uncle, the Guy Ritchie yeah. film, um, I think it was a really entertaining film, but it yeah. was missing for me. It felt like it was lacking in a few areas to stop it from being need to see. Like if you're gonna, if someone says to you, "I I don't know any spy movies. What do I watch?" and I hand them the mm. knock list, there's only like 25 films on there of 150 films that we've tackled. We're, we're quite scrutinizing. Yeah, okay. We're quite. We, yeah, we're, not everything gets on automatically. Uh, they need to then get watch those films and come out the other end and know what a good spy movie is. So I, for mm. me, it's very intrinsic. Like it needs to have intrigue. It needs to have some well-defined characters. It needs to have spycraft. Mm. I mean. A spoiler for those who are going to go maybe check out the the Leon the Professional episode we did for 150. Mm-hmm. One of the things we came to at the end is that's not really spy enough. And we've had that a few times. Okay. We've had films that have been like, oh, there's elements here. We'll watch yeah. it. We'll review it. But there's just not enough spy in there. And Leon didn't have mm-hmm. almost anything. It was more just about being an assassin, which is fine. Sure. And it's, an, it's a great film. Mm. But... There wasn't enough spycraft, you know, tradecraft, call it what you like. No one okay. was a spy. No one was doing any spy work. There was no missions. No, was co- no covert actions. So it needs to have mm. all those sort of things in there too. But ultimately, yeah. it needs to be a good entertaining film at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but that, we, we do discover a couple of like funny ones along the way too. There's some knockless films that uh, people never even heard of that we found. So that's, that's half the mission is finding films that people don't necessarily know. Okay, which is great too. But yeah, I uh, that, I've had that question before, and I find it hard to uh, sort of um, verbalize my answer because a lot of the time it's I watch a film and at the end I'm like, yes or no, and I just know inside why. And it's hard. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to ver- verbalize it, but that's kind of what the episode does prolonged until we yeah. get to the question at the end. But yeah, sure. I, I suppose it needs to have spycraft in it. it. Needs to have some spy work in it ultimately to get on. Right. 
Do you have the knock list to hand then? Or I'm just, I'll just have a quick look on your website. I couldn't see anything on here. Uh, I got it up just a moment ago. I closed it, but I'll get it back up. It's on Letterbox. We hide it on there, basically. That's, uh, uh, that's, where it, okay. that's where it's hidden temporarily. So, yes, there are currently about 30 films. 30 films. Wow. Okay. Oh, it's on your... I see. I see. Okay. Where have you hidden it? It's on there. I just want to have a quick... Oh, let me just ping it over to you right now. Thank you. Because I'm just curious, yeah, to sort of learn a bit more about this. It's in the Thank chat box much. for you there. There we are. Amazing. So, okay, okay. So just for the listeners at home, we're just going to have a quick look through it. So, yeah, you've got a couple of classic Bonds, I would say, in here. You've got Goldeneye, Dr. No, for example. Born Supremacy, yeah? I would absolutely agree with that, yeah. You'd say that's kind of a an interesting turn, right, the Bourne movies in terms of sort of how the genre of spy movies or mainstream spy action movies went, right? Mm -hmm. You could kind of argue up until that point it was very sort of campy and yeah, well, that over was, the top. That was the, that was, the Bourne identity was the turn. That was yeah. when it all shifted because yeah. um, not long after, the week after we did our Leon the Professional episode, maybe we'll talk about mm -hmm. it a little bit later, but we had, yeah. we, we've just had Lee Tamahori on who directed mm. Die Another Day. Right, okay. And he's talking about the film. He's talking about making Die Another Day. And they, he said during production, he went and watched The Born Identity with Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson. Oh. They sat in a theater and he turned to her at the end and he said, we're in trouble here. <laughs> right. Because it, like, I, I, off the top of my head, I think they're the same year. Or I think maybe uh, Born Identity is the year yeah. before, maybe off the top of my head. It's, it, but they're very close to each other. 2004 is Born Identity. So yeah, I think you're right. They're quite close together. We'll double check, everybody. It's fine. It's 2002. 2004 was Born Supremacy. Go. Yeah, so the wow. same year. And Dino Day came out at the end of the year, so that all makes sense. The, right. the math is there. Um, okay. And yeah, and he said, we're in trouble. And that's why you see that pivot from Die Another Day, which is, you know, space lasers, through to mm -hmm. Casino mm -hmm. Royale, which is the most insane thing in Casino Royale is Daniel Craig running through a brick wall. Yeah. Yeah, basically. So yeah, yeah, uh, and they really did tone it down. They really did learn their lesson. But Bourne had them on the ropes for a long time. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It sort of it definitely was the more serious mm -hmm. entry yeah. of that, and also kind of interesting that it leans quite heavily on sort of American surveillance, right? Whereas before, obviously, we used to MI five. Yes, that's. A, I don't know about you. You kind of associate spying for the most part in cinema with. I don't know why, but just being British, I think it is, has has a lot to do with Bond. But then you're like, America's got also huge organizations, so it kind of makes sense to tap into that. Well, it's interesting. One of the earliest spy movies, um, mm. 1924's The General with Buster Keaton. Right. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, um, that's all about Confederate spies, uh, which is mm. the American Civil War. So technically, that was America. And, that's, right. and that was a huge blockbuster of its time. Uh, blockbuster didn't exist then, but like it did yeah. very well. It still does well, and it does screenings. Uh, and, mm. I, and you know, much as Bond revolutionized things with Goldfinger in the sixties, yeah, there's been some fantastic. I mean, look at Hitchcock's work in the thirties and forties. Notorious um, mm. North by Northwest in the fifties, Thirty Nine yes. Steps, stuff like that. This is yeah. all pre-Bond. Yeah, and yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, and that's, uh, I mean, obviously Hitchcock is British, so that's British filmmaking there. Hmm. But yeah, the, the, it, it is international. It's, it's interesting, but people do associate, if you think of like who is the most memorable spy of all time in cinema, it's James mm. Bond. 
It's got to be yeah. James Bond. There's no arguments yeah. there. He, you know, nobody did it better. Mm. But I, I feel like it's on the ropes a little bit now. Post No Time to Die, I think Mission mm. Impossible is giving it a run for its money. John Wick is giving it a run for its money. Yeah, that's interesting. Again, would you, yeah, class that as a spy movie? We haven't, we haven't looked at them yet. We've had, mm. we've had discussions about maybe tackling the John Wick films. Yeah, because there is a lot of covert operations and things like that mm. the syndicates and you know all these yeah. families and stuff like that uh maybe one day I, i'm not entirely mm. convinced it's quite there for it but in terms of like the action side of things which mm. is what bond likes to talk about a lot of the time yeah john wick is is changing the game yes everyone's trying to do john wick yeah 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 that's it no one's trying to do bond right now mm. yeah that's true that's very very true just having a quick look through the rest of the list. It's a good-looking list, I have to say. Um, True Lies jumps out to me mm. on that one. And again, another example, you're like, yeah, that, that 100% is a spy film. The premise of that is Arnold Schwarzenegger is a spy. That's, that's the movie. Yeah. But he it is, works. He is James Bond without James Bond. Yeah. I mean, that film, 93, I think, I'm not good with dates, filled that void post-License to Kill before mm. GoldenEye. And, you know, you've got James Cameron on there giving it his yep. all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, and that cast. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis and mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger together. Art Malik is the villain. It's yep. great. It's great stuff. It's um, it's a shame it's taken till either a time this comes out soon or you know, a few months away mm. for there to be a high-definition release. There's never been one. Really? Yeah. That's yeah, that really surprises me, especially someone like James Cameron and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, their sort of film collections people really go after. I'd have thought they'd be, yeah, high def versions of that for sure. But... There's a there's some behind the scenes issues with True Lies. Uh, um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which you can find out in our True Lies episode. Cheap plug number one. <laughs> Ring the you bell. Plug away, sir. You plug away. <laughs> Maybe I'll have one in post. But I like it. And uh, no, again, it's an example to me of like that again it speaks to the the malleability as you say and the appeal of a, mm-hmm. a spy movie if you can just say it's like you said Arnold Schwarzenegger is a spy there you go that's the movie and that's you go, the premise. oh yeah alright okay yeah. I'll give that a watch that mm-hmm. sounds like fun and it is it's just a fun stupid movie but it's brilliant yeah it's, it's only that film and Never Say Never Again you're going to see uh, yeah. a, a spy try and ride a horse off of a building <laughs> That's true. Wow. Wow. I never thought you would have been able to connect those two together, but <laughs> well done. Well, done. well, actually, I take that back. Um, in oh, Spy yeah. Hard, a few years later, Leslie Nielsen oh, okay. does the same joke with the horse. Right. And it doesn't, okay. it doesn't jump off, or maybe it does. I can't remember. But the, I, it, I, I forgot Spy Hard. Someone's screaming at me in the world right now. Yes, I remember okay. Spy Hard too. Sorry. It's fine. We've got it covered. That's good. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's some more modern ones. I mean, like Argo and like Zero Dark Thirty. I'm just, oh yeah, that again, technically a spy spy movie. There's a lot, I see a lot of covert things going on in there. There's deception, there's getting people out of places, there's planting recordings, there's all those sort of trappings that you'd expect, even if you wouldn't necessarily think of them as being straightforward spy films. No, the, some of those are on are, are on the outside. Maybe like Ghost in the Shell mm. is on perhaps the outside. Right, uh, right. You know, the the general I mentioned is down there on the yeah. bottom. It's yeah. you know, it it's about a guy trying to steal a train. But because right. there's spies running around, it it technically mm. still counts. M Butterfly is a love story, but 
Yeah. It's, it's about spy work in the background. It's people being used yeah. by the government and it's uh, it's a great film. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Um sure. it's um David Cronenberg, one of those films that no one talks about that he made. Yeah. But um yeah. Great, great stuff. But it, it, it's and and this I, I don't actually mm. look at the list very often it, like this. And it's actually quite nice to see the sort of eclectic collection of yeah. films. And also, someone made a comment uh, at the bottom of our list: is, "Is that it? Great selection, but after a hundred episodes, is that all you've got?" <laughs> uh, we've done fifty more and only added a few more since then. So uh, I, I, Incredible. I guess I guess we're being quite selective. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I don't think there's anything wrong. With being selective, because um, yeah, I, again, like from what you said, lots of films there would be quite a few, right? That you would say, like some of these we've mentioned, you go, yeah, that's a spy movie. That's mm-hmm. if you like the genre or what it's aiming for specifically. Sure. But others, as you said, it's like, well, they've they've got elements of that in the storytelling, so it makes sense that you've got to think about that. I love that Spy Kids is in here as well. That's just brilliant. It's just it's it's such a random list. If you were going to watch these. Yeah, in order or just it just randomly, you're gonna have a really interesting time. I think it's a weird weekend if you try and do this all in one go. I tell you that absolutely. now. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it it starts and ends quite well, I'd say. In the middle, it gets a bit uh, all over the place. The Wrecking Crew is a bananas film, but yeah, I yeah, I've never heard of it. I'll just have a quick look at it now. That's um the final of the four Dean Martin Matt Helm films from the 1960s. The, it, ah, it's yeah. claim to fame that you might know is from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Tarantino film. Uh, I'm vaguely familiar with it, yeah. Uh, it's because one of the characters, uh, Sharon Tate, played by Margot Robbie, is. Oh yeah. Um, she dies. Mm. Well, she's meant to die in real life, and her last yes. film is this film. She goes to see it in the film. Oh. That's the film oh, she's wow. watching in the film. Oh yeah! Even the first comment is the only reason I watched this film was for Sharon Tate and Sharon Tate only. Mm-hmm. And she's great mm. in it. It's great. Um, real shame about that story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating. That's wow. Okay, incredible. Absolutely incredible. Fun fact about that: if you want another one, uh, Bruce Lee uh, helped do the stunt coordination on the Wrecking mm-hmm. Crew. He did. So he taught them all to. And that's why there's like kung fu uh... fighting in the movie. Like it's a. Uh, that's yeah, why yeah. it's all just weirdly connected there, but uh, and it's I think it's also Chuck Norris's first on-screen role in that film. Oh, okay. Well, there get, you go. He gets beat up in the background of a scene. Incredible, absolutely incredible. But it was good enough to make your list then. Yes, I, I, I mean it, that one took a bit of uh, arm twisting. I think I was definitely yeah. championing that one, but yes, it, mm-hmm. it, it definitely made it on in the end. Amazing. Oh man, this is absolutely amazing. I can imagine there's going to be a lot more added to the list because, as you say, I know there's a lot of heavy hitters to come yet. And I'm just thinking out loud. Have you guys done something like Tinker Taylor, for example? No, not yet. Not yet. I didn't not think yet. you did. No. It's um, there's there's a lot that we've left. I mean, some people. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, I'll, I I will I'll take my lumps with the best of them. We've received criticism yes. before, uh, for doing films like I mentioned, Cats and Dogs two and three. Mm-hmm. Like it, is it going to make the lock list? Obviously not. Like we know mm. that the the journey is more important for us a little bit than necessarily yeah. just getting the knock list, and yeah. we want to be able to say by the end that we've cataloged as many spy films as we can physically get our hands on. If it's available, mm-hmm. we want to talk about it. Even some we've mm. we've found films and we've brought them back, okay, from the dead to talk about them. Like we've put them up on YouTube, <laughs> found them on archive. <laughs> 
and to, just to talk about them because they exist and yeah. why would you not want to do that because a lot of the time you learn things about spy movies from watching the bad ones or right. you what you, you, you learn things that influence people there's a i'm just trying to find the name of it now it's gonna it's gonna elude me oh tonight we raid calais from 1943 okay, okay? it's a war propaganda film mm-hmm. and it's it, basically it's a footnote in history right but Tarantino listed it as one of his favorite movies of all time. Of course he did. He's, he's watched it. <laughs> and there's yeah. shots in the film yeah. that he references in okay. Pulp Fiction. Oh, He's okay, taken then. shots from that and put it in his film. So, you know, you learn that from watching these lesser known projects. And we, you know, mm. that, that's, that's kind of the magic for us a little bit. And, and, and also the other thing is as well, it's more of a pragmatic. If we had just done all the hits... We'd probably be wrapping up soon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is completely fair. That is completely fair. Absolutely valid point there. Uh, and as you say, there's quite a lot of movies that will cross over into this mm-hmm. space. So you, I think, yeah, why not? Why not talk about a Cats and Dogs 2 or a you know, bizarre comedy from the 60s or something? Yeah, have, have a bit of fun. Who yeah. says you've got to do all the Mission Impossible straight away or all the Bourne films straight away? We waited three years to do any Mission Impossible films. Ah, that's that's quite a bit of restraint. It it took some. <laughs> it did take some restraint. <laughs> we we felt that mission timer going off in the background, but uh, it, mm. I, I, you know, I I think because I didn't actually much like the department film when I first saw it. Okay, having now spent three years analyzing films, spy films mm-hmm. specifically, I I adore it. I think it's a masterpiece. Mm. I think he I think the Palmer has clearly studied spy films and brought some of the best stuff to bear with that film. And I think if I'd mm. reviewed it in the first couple of months, I would have been like, you know, no, sir. Okay. So, oh, uh, fair. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm just curious, if you were going to make your own spy movie then, Scott, what are some of the core ingredients you would say to, to put in that film? Hmm. Well, now we're plugging into what I like in a spy film, which is very different to what yeah. Cam likes in a spy film, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, guns, girls, and gadgets. Okay. Uh, yeah, you could, or boys, if you prefer, whatever you'd like in your spy film. But for me, sure. I, I, I like that sort of 60s vibe of spy movies. When Spy Mania was, you know, taking place with all the Bond films and all the Bond ripoff films, mm-hmm. that's, that's really the genre I lean towards. And I, I find myself revisiting, or like the 90s revival of a lot of that with stuff like True Lies and Goldeneye. Uh, that's that's what I would go for. It have a lot of that. It have a lot of action, mm-hmm. um, a lot of quips, uh, some gadgets. Mm-hmm. Probably a stern boss to tell off your protagonist at some point and send yep. him on a mission. Uh, he would probably take down some megalomaniacal bad guy on a mm-hmm. you know hidden volcano lair. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'd probably be happy with that. It, it, it's not pushing okay. the boundaries. It's not a it's not a cold and gritty Lacare adaptation. Right, uh, but it's entertainment, which is uh, a lot of what I look for in in spy movies. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would probably be it. it it's probably done to death, really. Now, if, my movie wouldn't do well, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> you never know; you get the right casting. Yeah, Could that's be good fun. That's true. I mean, one thing I'll point out is the the recent revival of the OSS films, the French OSS films. Hmm. Okay. With um, uh, Jean Dujardin, Rene Dujardin or Jean Dujardin, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, but they're comedies, basically, they're, and they're set in the sixties mm. and seventies. Okay. And they're basically Bond spoofs. 
Oh, right. But okay. they're, they're done now as if they were shot in the 60s. So they're like, they're period pieces, basically. Mm. And they're absolutely hilarious, whilst also being really cool action films at the same time. And, and not yeah. poking fun at the sort of Bond tropes, but also like kind of adoring them at the mm. same time. Yeah. We haven't tackled those films. It's just something I've personally watched in my own time. And yeah. I just, I, I, I think they're fantastic. I'd love to see a, mm. a Western, I say Western, France is in the West, but a, a, an English speaking mm. remake of those films because I think, yeah. Or maybe that's where Bond goes next is back to being a, you know, 60s period piece or something like that. I don't know. But I, I feel mm. like that's where, I feel like we need a bit of fun these days. A lot of grim storytelling in cinema at the moment, or there has been, mm. and I think we could do with a little bit of uh, just happiness. Yeah, I think that's fair. And again, there's something to be said for being able to use this type of storytelling with that, right? Mm -hmm. As we've established, you can take the spy sort of thriller or action or comedy, you can add any other thing to it. So yeah, why not have a bit of fun with it? Why not? I mean, I would I would argue that's the case with the Mission Impossible films at the minute. Like, mm -hmm. they're not you're not really there for plot necessarily. You're just there because action set pieces, right? Yeah. And it's the kind of and the chemistry between some of the cast. It's just a bit of fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, in my mind, spy films. One of the reasons they work is because the main the main you know the protagonist a lot of the time is a is a spy, and therefore they're a cipher. You can imprint right. yourself on them. You can put yourself in James Bond's tuxedo and wish yeah. you were on the beach with Domino in Thunderball. You know, you could, you could, you could pretend you're living that life for two and a half hours if that's what you want. Mm. And it's escapist, and that's and that's a lot of what I think I enjoyed with the Pierce Brosnan films when I was young because I wanted to be jumping off that dam. I wanted to be, you know, mm. repelling off a building with Michelle Yeoh as I rip a poster in half. Like, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's fun. It's it's an enjoyable fun. Now it doesn't mean that, like you know stuff like you mentioned uh, Zero Dark Thirty. That's not a fun yeah. film. No, I don't really want to picture myself as Chris Pratt in that film doing you know going into the house and all that stuff at the end. I have no interest mm. in being that person. No, but uh, it's a fantastic film. So of course it made its way on the knock list. But in terms mm. of what I would be looking for, it's that kind of I could there a cipher I can imprint myself on that character and live that life for mm. two hours. The recent Man from Uncle film again. It didn't make the knock list, but I really quite like that film. Mm. And Same, it's yeah. it, it's just a it's a fun two hours. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Exactly. You're never going to get a sequel to it because of the casting, but hey ho. No, no, absolutely not. But <laughs> but again, like you say, straightforward enough that mm -hmm. you could just jump on and enjoy it. And yeah. I, I believe that one's based on a, a television series, right? Well, that's what it's inspired by. Uh, yeah, the Man from Uncle. Uh, they they were turned into films as well. Uh, yes tv films i guess you can call them but mm. yeah they uh yeah it's it's a spin-off of a, of a tv show basically most famously a tv show uh mm. yeah and, and it's just a, a good fun romp i think that's ultimately what attracted a lot of people to the spy genre is those fun mm. 60 stories in the 90s with brosnan and i'm glad mm. craig did that era those five films yeah. uh, i just i think the next iteration needs to be something a bit lighter I think that's probably fair. It's like everything, right? These things, they sort of ebb and flow in terms of the trends. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we've had, you could argue, a good 20 odd years of dark and dour. So it's probably a time for a, a little switch around. Yeah. And Bond's always been something that sort of inflates to a certain level and then like goes back to where it started. And, yeah. and where it started or where it got popular was Goldfinger. Goldfinger is not a, right. a serious film. Mm. 
It's pretty silly. Someone's yeah. gonna get his, someone's gonna get his laser his nuts being yeah cut off by a laser beam. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> that's not a serious film. No. No, definitely not. No, and yeah, parody to death as well mm-hmm. as a result. But mm-hmm. yeah, as you say, in- interesting nonetheless. And yeah, I agree. There's definitely room for that. I mean, personally, I do quite like some of the darker stuff as well. Just being me. I don't know. For for me, the thing that's always been interesting about that side of the spy genre, if you will, is the sort of paranoia mm-hmm. side of it, yeah. which you can include in the other ones anyway. I.e., Mission Impossible, who's wearing a rubber face mask? We don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's things like that that I think are quite interesting. It's the whole who can you trust? You d- d- a double agent, for example, that's yeah. like a staple, right? In in a lot of. Uh, spy movies or like who's watching you surveillance stuff yeah. so in films like enemy of the state from tony scott that's very much right. s- surveillance state sort of conversations there or the conversation which is kind of what it leads from and like three mm-hmm. days of the condor with robert redford yep. you've got the government coming down on this guy who was in the wrong mm-hmm. place at the wrong time right yeah if, of course i mean would you count the pelican brief as well as another one sort of similar to that or is that a bit different i haven't seen it actually it's on our list though so i i okay. i can't i don't want to comment if i if it would make it or not because i don't know but it's okay. on our, it's on our list to tackle so we will be taking a look at it at some point okay yeah it's just that's another one that jumped out to me being similar to is that alan j pacula film uh maybe i saw it many many moons ago we're back to google folks we're going to google <laughs> It's time to Google once more. Third Google, 93. It is... Oh, it's not, it's not Alan J. Packer, though, not in 93. No. I do not think so. Who directed it? I'm going to kick oh, myself. No, it is. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, I Alan was. J. Uh, Packer. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I redeemed myself, folks. Look at me. There you go. You got I'm, spot on. I'm an expert, apparently. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Um, yeah. No, I guess another one of sort of I guess similar to what you've got here, Bridge of Spies or Tinker Taylor ones, where it's kind of like a slower burn. It's mm-hmm. perhaps a more political uh, spy thriller, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are there are less of those in the world. Oh yeah, yeah. They they don't get they don't get made as often because they're not as popular with audiences a lot of the time. No, because they're quite slow and long, and as you say, yeah, it's perhaps not going to grab as many people's attention. A lot of the time, they tend to end up being TV series. Or like yes. TV miniseries, which is the, the popular mm. one now. Uh, so that, so you see less of them on the show. We do get, we do do them when we when we choose to. But like a lot of the time, mm. spy movies tend to have a lot of action in them now. It wasn't always that case. It was very different a long time mm. ago. But yeah, now it, they seem to be mostly action focused. You look at all the ones that come out on streaming recently. Yeah, Ghosted, Heart of Stone, mm. stuff like that. It's all just action films with spies. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think there's a lot more room for comedy as well. I mean, I just I just spotted on here, and I th- can't believe I didn't think of these earlier. The you know, Kingsman movies, for example, mm-hmm. kind of like on desk, but just yeah. a lot more over the top. Um, just having a look here. Yeah, Get Smart. I mean, that was a few years ago. That's again another one where it's, it's like basically a spy parody. Yeah, based on a TV show that was a based Bond on, parody. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, the movie Spy, which has one of my favorite Jason Statham performances ever. Playing against type, I like that. He's uh, he, he's great in that film just because he isn't playing mm. Jason Statham for once. Yeah, and I I think he should just play that character in every film mm. he's in ever because it would just be 
infinitely more entertaining whatever he does next i was the couple that raised me explode in a van i was the woman i love get tossed from a plane and hit by another plane mid-air i drove a car off a freeway on top of a train while i was on fire not the car i was on fire it better than the meg too i'll tell you that oh yeah i haven't got around to it but i don't think i will because everybody says don't bother yeah not not for me not for me but then again my co-host no. is obsessed with uh all things aquatic which is why he's such, uh, a, okay. he's such a big thunderball fan because of that but uh mm. yeah george is his favorite movie of all time so he has a soft spot for uh the meg films that that's fair that's fair he's got good taste in that um i'm just having a squ- scroll through because even if i don't type it into google i get spy comedies mm-hmm. i get political strife for this which is what we've talked about spy adventure films the sort of more the bonds kingsman stuff we talked about suspenseful so it mentions things like Salt, Red Sparrow, mm-hmm. Bourne. You're like, yeah, okay, that's true. And then, yeah, action comedy. Spy sci-fi, which you mentioned earlier. I mean, yeah, what are some of the more spy sci-fi? I guess they mentioned, say, like, Tenet. Yeah. Black Widow, technically, I suppose, being a superhero film. That's technically a spy movie. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, you could count. If you're looking at superheroes, you could look at stuff like mm. um, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. That's about right. spies. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. It's got Robert Redford in it at the end to playing a, mm-hmm. you know, the lead. It's a, that's a, there's a lift scene where Captain America yeah. beats up all those people. There's a direct nod to the Three Days of the Condor. Of course, yeah. Yeah, the, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And it very much leans on that, that sort of paranoia and... That's full of double agents and, yeah, leans on those tropes. Yeah. And, like, in terms of science fiction, um, mm. I mean, one that we're going to look at at some point is, like, Valerian uh-huh. and the World of a Thousand something or others. I've never seen oh, it. Right. But Valerian, I think, is what I remember it as. But, like, they're, uh-huh. they're a spy syndicate. And they're, they're trying... Oh. That's all it is. It, it's that, but sci-fi. The one, I, the one I'm looking oh. forward to tackling at some point down the road is... Yeah. Uh, and this is you mentioned this uh, uh, spy movies I hold near and dear to my heart. The other thing I hold near and dear to my heart is Star Trek. Ah, okay. Which is where I met Cam, my co-host. We met at a Star Trek convention. Oh, lovely! In Las Vegas, of all places, so not in either Brilliant. of our countries. Um, but it brought us together many years ago, like twelve years ago now. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, one of the Star Trek films is a spy film. Which one's that, thanks? been a while since i talked star trek oh can i uh, should i give you a hint or should i just tell you what would you you'd have to tell me because my my knowledge of star trek is okay very very minimal so star trek 6 the undiscovered country undiscovered country okay so i mean it's not it's one of those ones that's definitely on the on the on the precipice it's on the bubble of a spy film but the entire idea is it's, it's a cold war allegory it's about mm-hmm. you know it's a they even mentioned like only nixon can go to china um like it, there's a lot of nods to it and it's about the klingon empire being in pieces much like the you know the ussr was at the end of the cold war and can mm. can the two factions get on and there's okay. like an assassination attempt there's a as a plot within starfleet to destabilize the klingon empire like there's, there's covert operations happening within the film mm. and um okay okay it took me a while to figure out that was connected but our first ever interview Many mm-hmm. moons ago, which we sort of stumbled into, we started on a high. We started with Nicholas Meyer, the director of Star Trek VI, the yeah. Country, the Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and spoke to him about because he wrote a little bit of Tomorrow Never Dies. He did a little bit of work on that film. Brilliant. Um, 
and I've I've got oh, I've always had this idea in my head of when we get to our 100th interview, we're about 30 away. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna have him back for Star Trek Six and talk about that instead. Just as like a nice little bit of symmetry there. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to to doing that probably next year or the year after at some point. But mm. that'll that'll be nice. But um, yeah, the interviews I I I've I really love doing as well because. Like we stumbled into that one. It was during lockdown when we started the show, and I sent Nicholas Meyer an email. I was just I, I found his agent's email. I was just like, "Hey, do you want to come on and tell us a story about how you worked on Tomorrow Never Dies?" And he replied, "Like no one's ever asked me this. <laughs> right. Everyone asked me about Star Trek. Yeah, I'll yeah. come. I'll do your show. Brilliant. I was like, oh, I've got Nicholas Meyer. I've been watching his film since I was like five. So amazing. I'm I'm uh, I'm." I'm sweating profusely at this point. Yeah. And, and I bumble, we both bumble our way through the interview. Neither of us are proficient with interviews at that point, And probably we still mm. aren't to be fair. Mm. Um, and it's just been on a roll since then. But I, the fact that in the last year we've had Denise Richards on blows yeah. my little mind that she mm. said yes to us. Like Christmas, Dr. Christmas Jones, put the respect on it. Dr. Christmas yes. Jones has been on the show. And I just think like, and she even said, Oh, Christmas only comes once a year and like winked at me on the camera. <laughs> I I I don't think I've ever quite recovered from that moment in my life. No, no. <laughs> I peaked. I definitely peaked. I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. That's it. I'm surprised you're still going. To be honest, uh, we could have retired and just yeah, ended the show retired. there. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Mm. Nah, that's what I love about podcasting. You just you meet all sorts of amazing people doing mm-hmm. this. But yeah, and how cool is that as well? Like connecting with people like that, as you say. And I, I remember listening to your um, Denise Richards interview and. I thought it was really nice to hear how fondly she kind of looks back at things like that. And I'm sure that's the same with a lot of your other interviews as well. And I, I listened to your one with the, the director of Cats and Dogs as well. It's like, it's nice to hear people that look back on it and go, yeah, it was fun. Mm. I enjoyed working on this. And it seems to be something that this style of film brings to people, right? Perhaps uh, because it's an easier to grasp concept. Everyone knows what a spy movie is, right? For the most part, as we said, you're either doing a sort of darker dower or you're doing a fun one. If you're doing a fun one, you'd hope that that then creates a fun atmosphere on set or, you know, being something in something like a Mission Impossible or a Bond, I imagine must just be like being on a roller coaster for six months and just being like, yeah, it was great. You know, I jumped out of a helicopter or I, you know, went skiing down a mountain or I did some crazy stunts or whatever and met these cool people and yeah, just enjoyed myself. Well, it, yeah, I tend to find... Well, two things. Firstly, if someone says yes to coming on the show to talk about whatever spy movie or movies mm. they worked on, the fact they're doing it and entirely for free, we've never paid a single person to be on the show. Right. Everyone's giving up their time for free. They care about the thing they did. Yeah. No one's saying yes because they didn't like the film. Mm. Everyone, like, even some of the duds that we've covered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, our namesake is a good example. Uh, spy mm. Hard the Leslie Nielsen film is not Leslie Nielsen's finest moment. And it's actually no. not even that funny of a film if you go back to it. It's funny when I was a kid, but not so much now. Mm. But we had the director, Rick Friedberg, on. That's where we got permission to use the name. And he was, you know, he spoke a lot about the process of making the film, but he was, you know, quite honest about it. A lot of things went wrong during that production and we got to, like, mm. figure out why. Mm. Uh, another one was um, The Avengers, the year after, 1996. That Yeah. Terrible film. Yeah. One of our like earliest, I think it was in the first year we did this, we, had, we did the Avengers and then we had the director and the writer on in the same week. And the writer had wow. never given an interview before. And so oh. with both of them, we just like 
we both went through the film, why they did the film. They were both massive fans of the TV show. Mm-hmm. And they just both just listed exactly when it went wrong, how much the studio mm-hmm. interfered. And we just, and by that point, we had three episodes I was really proud of that we sort of told the story of the film. Brilliant. Our thoughts and then really what happened behind the scenes. It's like, it's like DVD bonus features. Yeah. But, f- but for free. Yeah, yeah. Um, Amazing. But, and, and, and what I've learned, personally speaking, is I love speaking with filmmakers. Much as mm. like talking to the actors, much as speaking to Denise Richards, Colin Salmon, all kinds of people, Jacqueline Bissett, wow, um, mm. over the years has been great. The people who really know and love spy movies are the ones who are making them. Right. Um, I speak to yeah, John Glenn, who did five Bond films. We've had him on. And like talking about making a Bond film with the guy who made five of them. He, mm. loves, he loves Bond. He breathes it. I've been to the guy's house. And spoken wow. to him about Bond films. I've interviewed him twice now. Mm. And, you know, it's, he's so passionate about the whole process. And, like, directors mm. like uh, Andrew Davis, who made The Fugitive, Roger Donaldson, who made, like, Dante's Peak, we've had him on too. They've both made mm. spy films in their own right. And they just absolutely adore spy movies. And you're just sitting there saying, talking to them about what their favorite spy movie is. And you're like, this guy made, like, this guy made No Way Out with Kevin Costner and he's there, he's there telling me about mm. how like, great Kevin Costner was to work with and oh, the time he fell over in the set and broke his arm, yada, yada. And this yeah. is the stuff you just get from someone who cares about that project. And yeah. so whenever, whenever I get that email back saying, yeah, I'd love to do it, I'm instantly just excited about what we're going to find out because they clearly are passionate enough to want to talk to us. Yeah. And, and we're That's not it. like the nerdist or anything like that. We're, we're, we're not uh, part of a... Uh, we're not paid. We, we have mm. a small Patreon that we, you know, if people want to help us out, that's absolutely fine, but we don't spend too much time on you know, plugging that 20 times an episode. Mm. It, it's just us loving spy movies and finding people like the directors and the writers and everyone that love it too and, and, and mm. learning about the process of making a film through them. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's one of those things I'm endlessly fascinated by it, honestly, as a process. Um, yeah, and there's, there's so much stuff now on as you say, and listening to people behind the scenes making a film because so much goes into it. Mm-hmm. It's such a huge thing. And as you say, in a, in a, particularly with a style like this, with this kind of story, there's so many different avenues you can go down. There's so many different ways that it can go right or wrong. Mm-hmm. So as you say, it kind of makes sense that whoever's behind it has got to have that drive. They've got to have that passion. They've got to have a story that they want to tell. And I'm with you. I'm always fascinated to hear what drives a person to do that. Yeah. And what their inspiration was, because as we've established, there's an absolute wealth, right, of things they can go back to and look at for inspiration. Yeah. I remember having a, a chat with, I can't remember, I think it hasn't come out yet, so I won't spoil who it was. Okay. But they said, the only reason we came on your show was because you love Notorious, the Halvard Hitchcock film. And I, I saw you posting ah. it. I saw you posting about it on social media. And I'm like, this guy, or these guys, mm-hmm. I should say, because Cam would be here. Uh, know mm-hmm. their spy films. And then we yeah. ended up having a protracted 20-minute conversation about Notorious. And it, I, that, But I, I'm talking to someone who has worked on a number of films that I'm very passionate about, that I love, and I, I was blown away that that even happened. But you have to... like uh, I, I'm not going to keep naming names. I'm not going to do cheap plugs. That's okay. Uh, people can go look us up. But I'm constantly baffled that people say yes because we aren't, mm. we aren't some big conglomeration podcast we're not npr or anything like that we're just these two two nerdy blokes one from london one from vancouver canada that really love one little particular subset of films and want to talk about it to people yeah 
but I found doing this podcast that that's the beauty mm. of of any sort of thing in pop culture is like if you can think of a of a niche, it exists, right? If you can think of a fandom, it's out there. I promise you. Yeah. If you th- if you think, oh yeah, spy movies. Oh, I don't know. That's a bit. Oh, am I the only one? No, trust me. Just go, and you will find your podcast and other podcasts like it who share that love and that passion and you will find communities mm-hmm. in there. And like you said, you will find individuals who get involved with making this stuff or are involved in some capacity with these areas, with these communities, with these people. It, there's so much you can learn from it. And I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And again, that this, I would say, has more universal appeal than perhaps most of us realize. You know, as we say this, as I've, I think, just having this conversation with you, I've been personally reminded of just how broad this is. Mm. Looking and going, oh yeah, actually that's true. There's all these different types of films you could go into and in you just mentioning, yeah, and then a series of films that I wouldn't necessarily assume or well, assume, think are spy movies. Actually they are. When you talk about it, like, oh yeah, that's a good point. I'd never thought of Enter the Dragon, for example, or like, yeah, or uh, uh, what's it, the one, Ghost in the Shell, mm. so on and so forth. Be like, oh, that's true. That that is an element of it. It counts, and I think that's brilliant. And just looking at this list here, it's like there's still more coming out. You know, this year we've had a few kind of come out already. And just looking at the the gambit of them, I'm like, oh yeah, they're all quite different as well. Some of them are biopics. Some of them are sort of over the top action films. Some of them are the more slow burn mm-hmm. paranoia ones that we've talked about. So there's there's still clearly an audience for these types of stories to be told. Yeah, I think it, it's it's a genre. I, I yeah, I shouldn't call it a genre because people will tell me off. But it's it's a <laughs> it's a it's a subset of films that is. <laughs> I think a lot of filmmakers understand how open it could be, and right. they and they know that they can set it in all kinds of different scenarios. I mean, the fact that there is a musical spy movie still blows me away. Um, mm. And and Tarantino has referenced it in one of his films again. He took a of song course. off that soundtrack and put it on the Hateful Eight soundtrack. Okay. I mean, it's Roy Orbison's only ever film. It's bizarre. It's it's deranged, Brilliant. but watch it anyway. The fastest guitar alive, I think it's called, uh, off the top of my head. <laughs> if you don't want to watch the film, listen to the episode because it's just insane. Um, it, they tried to make him into Elvis, but Roy Orbison is not a charismatic individual. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, I find it. Yeah, uh, if you if you if you don't mind unlicensed music on your show, you can use one of the songs on your outro or something. Because it, uh, I uh, may well do that. I've been known to do that on episodes from time to time. We, we've done it too. <laughs> Look up maybe Snuggle Huggle or something like that. That song sticks in my mind more than anything else. Um, I, Snuggle Huggle. <laughs> the fact crazy. I remember it from two years ago is embarrassing. I'm not even sure what my mum's date of birth is, but uh, I. <laughs> That's incredible. But boy, can I snuggle <laughs> huggle with the best of them. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, these are incredible. Wow. I'm just well, I don't know actually. I'm just looking at the um the list of songs. I don't see a snuggle huggle in there, but I will I will I'll, check I'll, it out. I will send you a link to snuggle huggle, don't you worry. I've got it queued. Yeah. I will okay. snuggle huggle with anyone. But yeah, it's <laughs> I, but yeah, the fu- I think is. the future is is bright for it. I think the only yeah. thing right now is the franchises are struggling. I think it's the independent yeah. films that are having better time. Like Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, mm-hmm. well, the fact that the title is that long in the first place is ridiculous. But Yeah, yeah. And they've pivoted to getting rid of the Part 1 now and calling the 8th one something else. That's crazy. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm curious because that is quite new. So, yeah, what's your thoughts on that? I, oh, I think calling it Part 1 was 
stupid. Honestly, mm. I think it's um, it makes people think that there's homework, and that's a good point. Yeah, there isn't there isn't homework. Mm. There's been three mm. films this year that have been part ones. Oh right, yeah. What were some of the other ones? In? Fast X. Oh my goodness, I forgot about Fast X. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, Across the mm. Spider Verse. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't say part one. They didn't. Neither of them said part one in their title. Mm, that's true. That's so true. That's where I think Mission Impossible's pulled back a little bit because those two films mm-hmm. did okay for themselves. Well, Spider Spider Verse did. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think like people, I, I I think they were going for some big grand story. And the fact that they've already shot like almost all of the stunts for Mission Impossible mm. Eight, they've already almost wrapped it. It's all just the personal stuff they need to shoot now. So mm. they're they're pivoting a little bit. I think they they realized that they. I mean, one of the problems with that film, if we're going to stray into that for a second, is it hasn't got yeah, a villain. Go for it. it hasn't got a villain. No, it's no. got it's got a guy who's acting on behalf of an entity and then an mm. an amorphous internet blob. Yes, yeah, that that ain't Blowfield. Blowfield? No, Blowfeld. That ain't Blowfeld <laughs> or, or Blowfield. It's neither of them, really. It's neither. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I just think that that there's a lot of problems with that film, but mm-hmm. I feel like the part one mm-hmm. really held it back. Also, Barbenheimer happening two weeks later. Yeah, yeah. No one saw that coming. True, it, very very true. A very a very odd moment in in cinema history mm. that I I did watch both in the same day. I was very proud of that. Oh, fair play to you. I only got around to Barbie personally, but um, really enjoyed it. On Oppie, a side note, Oppie's really enjoyed it. it. Oppie's worth oh, it. Oh yeah, it's on my list. Like I will definitely get hold of it when it comes out. Mm. Um, might be out now actually, but I think anyway. it's just come out. But yeah, Barbie's yeah. great though. Barbie, I mean, it deserves to be one of the best films of the like, most highest grossing films of the year. Mm. I'm not sure Super yeah. Mario does, but. Yeah, well, that's that's another podcast. I think mm, that, that's uh, that that that's Scott uh, Scott talks movies, which uh, I don't make. So, <laughs> thankfully for the world, <laughs> I think it's interesting though what you're saying about about the part uh, part one thing. I think you're right. There is something to that for sure, and mm. I don't know if it also suits what the Mission Impossible movies are right in terms of being a spy film. Mm-hmm. As we said earlier, I think they are very much. They're serialized, but they're very loosely serialized, right? Yeah. Like you go in, like you said, yeah, if you haven't seen the previous one, someone will just catch you up with like 30 seconds of exposition. Then mm-hmm. you kind of go, cool, great, moving on. Whereas if you're like, oh, okay, I've got to watch this one to know what happens in the next one. Uh, I don't know. Actually, that's a bit off-putting. Um, I also think there's a problem with those movies as they get further and further along where I feel like the line between it being a fun popcorn action movie and Tom Cruise taking it deadly seriously and being the greatest human on the on the planet if not the universe it's that line's getting closer and closer and it's interwe- interweaving in a way that I think I don't know about you I kind of find it a bit uncomfortable now watching that film I'm just kind of like okay we get it you want to be the greatest person ever but it's not why I'm here I'm here to watch you throw yourself off a cliff because you're a actually insane but you know but it's entertaining <laughs> I, I i don't know really I, I think it's uh he's he's using his producer credit a lot with these yeah, films yeah. now he really is throwing that power around but i think without him being able to do that we wouldn't have had any of the stunts that we've had in the last five films like yeah no, he's not yeah. Per, he's not climbing the burj khalifa if, if it was if it was True. scott eastwood in the film mm-hmm. I, I don't know why i picked scott eastwood but yeah he, why not he's not doing that no. Nor is he doing the Mission Impossible films, but that's not True. the point. 
True. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but to, to your point about the serialization being potentially a problem, mm. you just got to remember that the, the idea of the Mission Impossible films was they were meant to have a different director every time, have a different tone, yeah. different yeah. Uh, different story, no connective tissue, no 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 team. Mm-hmm. Like Ving Rhames wasn't supposed to come back. Yeah, that's true. And there was no Benji until like the fourth one. Mm. So that and, and like Rebecca Ferguson comes up in the fifth. Mm. So yeah, there, there wasn't really a plan to have that. And so like Mission Impossible Two, you got John Woo turning up three, JJ Abrams four, Brad Bird. It was only when um, Christopher McQuarrie turned up in five that I yeah. think I think Tom found someone that he can work with well, or mm. he thought he could. Yeah, uh, and that's why it stayed. But even Macquarie said that he's tried to make different films each time. I'm not sure he's been successful, mm. but uh, yeah, mm. he said that at least he get, he paid a lip yeah. service. But yeah, I I think the first four stand as a really interesting body of work, and then mm. I, I I break down the mission films as the pre and and Macquarie stages. Like there's mm-hmm. four without him, and then there's going to be four with him, and that those later four I think are all going to feel about the same. Whereas the first four. Like you can't tell me that Mission Impossible One and Mission Impossible Two feel the same. No, no, not even remotely. Yeah, it's true. Sometimes not for the benefit of the film, but mm. you know you're not going to get slow mo doves in Christopher Quarry's <laughs> films. No. Yeah, or like I don't know, spin kicking off a motorbike or whatever happens in that one. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> motorcycle jousting or whatever they call it. Yeah, I, I don't, I just don't see Christopher Quarry wanting to do that. Yeah, and then Limp Bizkit, bah, 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 in the background. Brilliant. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's, I think I've, is it here? I've got the CD literally in arm's reach, I think, somewhere. I was reading it the other day. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love that album. Oh, it's great. It's great. It's, it's so much, so much incredible history there. I mean, the Metallica song alone is just incredible for what it kickstarts. It's a, a little bit of a spoiler, depending on when this comes out, but one interview we have got coming up is with the guy mm-hmm. who put that album together. Okay. Um, and it, it's... I mean, I, I learned stuff about Fred Durst I never thought I'd learn in my lifetime. Um, I didn't know I wanted to know it, but I do now. Uh, <laughs> but like, just how, what it was like to work with Metallica to put that together. Like He, yeah. he, made, he helped make the music videos for those as well. Oh, I, I can't wait to hear that, because that music video... It's just, it's, oh, there's so much. He had some in very that. interesting things to say about the Metallica music video. That, uh, yeah, I, I was... want to know what happened to Jason Newstead in that video. Uh, there, there is a story about that. Awesome, awesome. Oh, yeah. If for anyone who's not familiar, just go and look up I Disappear on YouTube and just watch the music video. It's, it's interesting. And also, it slaps like it's great. It's a great, it's a decent tune. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Metallica fan. And it's, Same. I must admit, it's one where I'm like, I've seen him live a couple times now. Mm hmm. And I'm just like, oh, chuck that in the set list. Come on, like you do it for the nostalgia. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why I don't play it more often. I know it was a B, like a track that they just didn't want to use on load or reload. Or seem to. I think that's the case. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I think that's what he told me on the interview. Mm. But yeah, so it is what it is. But you know, take a look around by Limp Bizkit as well. It's such an of that moment thing. I, I think we're mm. both in the pocket around about that time. It sounds Absolutely. like age wise. Yeah. And like, yeah, I was, yeah. I was a big little biscuit, Lincoln park kind of guy. Yeah. And I was just like, the new metal era. Yeah. Yeah. I had my, <laughs> when I had hair, it was gelled up and spiky. Not so much anymore, <laughs> but you could grow a mean metal beard. That's what you could do, Scott. Um, I don't think my wife would agree. Oh uh, yeah. No, no. I mean, I'm in a similar category. But uh, yeah, moving on. <laughs> I think I think it's cool though. And again, 
more stories, right? More mm-hmm. crazy behind the scenes stuff. It's oh, I can't wait to hear that. Genuinely cannot wait to hear that. That's so cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, it'll be interesting to see where it goes in the next couple of years. I think you're right. I think we will see a change up in the tone, particularly Bond, right? Because that's kind of like the flagship mm-hmm. yeah. in terms of spies. It, like, yeah, is it that tends to follow the trend or set the trend depending mm-hmm. on what's happening in cinema. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm really intrigued to see where that goes in the next couple of years. I just hope it goes somewhere because it yes. just feels like it's been a long period now between when No Time mm-hmm. to Die was finished not when it was mm-hmm. released, when it was finished. And yes. there's been nothing announced. That's true. Yeah, when did it finish? Because obviously it was delayed because of the pandemic. Well, it, it was mostly wrapped in 2019. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, was, it, was, it was due to release in like early 2020, 2020 I should say. Right. Uh, mm. I think it was at one point due to release in 2019, but they had to do some reshoots or something. But then it mm. was 2020, and then, of course, the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So yeah, we'll be coming up to about five years then. Yeah, and no, no news. In, yeah, I do find that very interesting. Just think about the time that like lapsed between License to Kill and Goldeneye. Mm. License to Kill comes out in the summer of '89. They start mm. shooting Goldeneye in early 1994. So that's only five years. Mm. So we've almost hit that period already. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they'll have somebody in the pocket by then well you'd hope so we'd hope we'd hope otherwise that's a lot of money that amazon spent for nothing yeah otherwise we'll just fall back to cats and dog sequels that's it yeah well i'm sure there'll be another one of those right scott no i i <laughs> I, I know i can't swear on this show but uh, i i very much hope not let's put it that way i i just loved one of my favorite things in that episode i think it was the last one you guys put out at the time of us chatting um was the drop off from the budget of the second to the third, I thought was <laughs> hilarious. It was like, what, it was like 80 million or something stupid like that. Just a huge plummet right the way down. I think it was like eight, I think it was a tenth. I think it was 80 million to about 8 yeah. million or something yeah. like that. It, but then it was like, incredible. It's crazy that that third one even exists. And the fact that they, yeah. like, they shot it all in like a rainy Vancouver suburb and just mm-hmm. it all done on mm-hmm. the cheap and it feels cheap. It's a direct to DVD film that for yeah. some reason we decided to put in cinemas here in the UK because we're insane. Yeah, yeah, or desperate. Oh, please, or desperate. please go back. Please yeah. go back. We need you. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, long may it continue. Mm. So, <laughs> um, I guess I just want to wrap this things up. I just want to say thank you, Scott, for coming on to the podcast. And but before I do wrap it up, I'm going to throw it over to you. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss about spy movies or say about spy movies before we close out? No, I, I really do think we've, we've covered a lot of it. I mean, if people want to hear more about spy movies, they can mm-hmm. come and find us because that's all we ever talk about. Uh, uh-huh. But yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's such a fascinating subset is the word I'm using of films uh-huh. just because of the, the, the width and the length and breadth of what you can do with it. And mm. you'll be constantly surprised in what these films can pump out, especially when you're doing like what we do and jumping decades every week. It's not like it's in an order or anything like that. Yeah. So come be surprised. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a good sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I hope that spy movies continue to come out. There, there are loads of them. We've got Argyle coming out in, in February. That's oh. the next big one. The one with you know, Henry Cavill and yeah. Sam Rockwell and all that. So that'll be interesting as well. Next big tentpole spy film. Wonder what they do with it. We'll find out. Yeah. I've got to admit, I was really intrigued by that. Like, 
bought the trailer, it seems to be quite a, a layered story going on there. And again, just something quite straightforward. You go, oh, it's a spy movie, but it has this twist. Cool. All right, I'm in. Yeah, it's like a spy. It's like a Bond film meets romancing the stone. Yeah, 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 exactly. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah, look mm. forward to seeing what that's all about. So if people do want to be surprised and oh. hear more, where can they find you? Well, uh, for spies, we're incredibly easy to find. <laughs> uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, any social media platform, just search for Spyhards, S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S, one word, uh, mm-hmm. and we will appear mysteriously from the shadows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, that, that's basically it. We're on YouTube. We, we put out some of our interviews in video form, but not very often, but like the Denise Richards and Colin Salmon and stuff are up there if you want to watch those, if you're mm-hmm. a YouTube viewer. But uh, yeah, otherwise, every Tuesday, new episode without fail for the last three and a half years. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And I'll be sure to link it in the show notes for everybody to go and find. And I'm not just saying this because you're here. I genuinely think it's a fantastic show. People should go and check it out. So again, links are in the show notes for everybody. Make sure you go and listen. No, I, I, I hope you do. Hope you pop along, folks. Let us know what you think. Come join us on social media. But mm-hmm. hi to you. Thank you for having me on. I'm sorry Cam couldn't be here to join us. I'm sure he would have been... Uh, Far less insightful than I was, but he would have he, <laughs> he would have been here, so at least he yeah. would have shown up. That's uh, that's yeah. something, right? Absolutely, it is. It is <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks. Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you. And there we have it. Thank you so much, Scott, for coming onto the podcast and sharing your love of all things spy movies. If you enjoyed this episode, then definitely do yourself a favor and check out Spy Hards. It is a wonderful podcast, absolutely worth your time. As discussed at the end of the episode, there is a wide variety of films that they discuss and they managed to get themselves some incredible interviews. At the time of this episode coming out, they've just released two episodes. One is all about Mission Impossible 2, which we did discuss in this episode, as well as an interview with Matthew Vaughan, director of Argyle, which has just come out in cinemas. So make sure you go and check out those interviews, as well as the many, many others that they've done that are all fantastic. Links for all of that are in the show notes, as per usual, as well as a link for Scott's social media. So if you want to reach out to Scott and share your love of spy movies with him, I'm sure he would love to hear from you. And if you'd like to share your love of spy movies with me, then please consider giving me a follow on the social media pages, all linked in the show notes, including the Discord server, because I will be launching a dedicated page just for spy movies. So if you want to come and hang out and let me know what you think of spy movies, what some of your favourites are, maybe give me some out of left field suggestions. I would love to hear all of it. Again, links are in the show notes for you to go and do so. And as promised at the top of this episode, I want to give a big shout out to some podcasts that I have been fortunate enough to guest on recently. First up is the incredible podcast, Let's Jaws for a Minute. You'll be familiar with Sarah and MJ. They've been on this show a number of times. I absolutely love what they do. And they were kind enough to have me back on during their shark movie season. And we discussed The Shallows. 
it was so much fun catching up with those guys and talking about a pretty decent shark movie. So make sure you check that out if you haven't already. I've put links in the show notes for that. And I wanted to give them an extra shout out because they've only gone and launched another podcast. And from what I hear, the opening theme is a bit of a banger. The show is called Let's Party with Marty. It is Sarah and MJ going through the entire filmography of one Martin Scorsese, as well as the companion movies that he has suggested himself via his very own Letterboxd account. It is an absolutely brilliant idea for a podcast and well worth your time. So I've also put links for that in the show notes of this episode. If you did enjoy this episode and you want to share the love, then please consider doing a few simple things to help out the show. First and foremost, just tell somebody. I really do not mind how you go about doing that, why you go about doing that, or when and where you go about doing that. But as long as you do, because frankly, word of mouth is just the lifeblood of independent podcasters like myself. We don't have the money for big fancy advertising and marketing campaigns and all that good stuff. But we do have you, dear listener. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it. You can share it via word of mouth. You can share it via social media, whatever suits you best. Just please make sure that you do. And if you really enjoyed the episode and you want to go ahead and help promote the podcast on your podcatcher, then just simply click five stars on whatever podcatcher you're listening to this on. If you can leave a review, that would be extra nice. I will read it out on the next episode. So if I have missed any, then please do tell me because I owe you a massive shout out. If you want to help support the podcast financially, then please consider donating via the coffee or Kofi page. I still don't know how it's pronounced. Or you can head over to TeePublic and pick up some merchandise featuring the fantastic artwork designed by one Alex Jenkins. His details also in the show notes. Right, that's it from me. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode featuring a brand new guest all about a musical topic which I knew next to nothing about. It was a really fun conversation. I've learned an absolute ton during it and since, and I hope that you guys stick around to enjoy that. So until then, have yourselves a great week. Go and listen to the amazing Spy Hards podcast. Go and watch some spy movies. And to take us out as promised, here is Snuggle Huggle from the Roy Orbison movie, The Fastest Guitar Alive. Take it away, ladies. I want to be...